Hello and thank you for listening to this Youth Mental Health Podcast with the Northern Trust. My name's James Nelson, I'm a psychiatrist in the Trust and I'm very pleased to be joined today by my colleague James. James, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, thanks James. Um, my name's James Martin, I'm team lead for CAMS Crisis Team in the Northern Trust. Thanks James, good to have you today and the title for our podcast today is Self-Harm and Suicidal Thoughts, What Can a Parent Do? And uh, James, I know in your role in the crisis team, you quite often encounter young people and families in a in a crisis situation where self harm or suicidal thoughts is a real concern. And I, and I suppose you might say this is a time of real stress for families. Um, what what sort of things might families be experiencing at a time when they're either wrestling with suicidal thoughts in a young person, or they're coming in contact with a service like yours, James? There's a lot of emotion involved. Because understandably, parents and carers are hearing their child expressing suicidal thoughts or spoken about self-harm or maybe made self-harm attempts, which cause a lot of anxiety and a lot of stress and upset. So a, a stressful time for parents and a stressful time for the whole family system, so to speak? Yes. And I know from the outset, James, there were, in your mind maybe one or two myths around self-harm and suicidal thoughts that, that you wanted to clear up. And I wondered, you just want to mention those now at this point? Firstly, there's a, there is a myth that asking someone about suicide is going to in any way increase the person's likelihood of attempting suicide. So sometimes a family or parents or carers are afraid to ask that, the, the young person that question in case they, in quotes, put thoughts into the young person's head. Truthfully, there's absolutely no research to say that's accurate. The other uh, myths that suicide can't be prevented, it can be prevented. Um, the fact that the young person went to a parent or care or a teacher and expressed these thoughts would say that the young person is unhappy with how they're feeling and they do want some type of change or, ho- or hopeful that some type of change will happen. Another myth was that sometimes parents and their own anxiety could say, oh, my child is maybe attention seeking. Mm. And this is quite worrying because if the child is asking for support, maybe thinking of it rather for support rather than attention, obviously there are some emotional needs the child does want to be met or does need met that the parents at that time try and be reciprocal to that because the big danger is maybe that someone feels a bit fobbed off mm. you know it takes a lot of courage actually to say that to a loved one that that's that is a thought or that that they have self-harmed so it's important that the family do take that on and it's very very easy for ourselves to maybe explain these answers you know from a textbook if you like but obviously whenever a parent or a carer or anyone hears that there are a lot of emotions at play and sometimes them emotions can cause maybe a response that and um, reflection could have been different hmm. Hmm. so it's important that the adult or the the carer the teacher the parent recognizes look this is really really stressful I maybe need to take a wee bit of time just to digest this myself. Maybe not say the first thing that comes into my mind. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, James. There's there's a lot there, isn't there? So in terms of myths, uh, we're saying to people it actually is okay to ask about suicidal thoughts if you're concerned about yes. a young person. We're saying that things can be done to prevent suicide, so people shouldn't feel 
powerless around this. And we're also tackling that really difficult area about attention seeking. And if I'm getting you right, James, I, I think you're kind of saying, actually, it's really important that young people do get attention when they feel they're needing it. And that maybe the bigger risk is if, as you say, they get fobbed off um, and they don't feel listened to. Am, am, I, am I getting you right about that? It's really important to listen. Yeah. And I suppose maybe the, even the terms attention seeking can, can mm. come across very negative. Maybe if we thought about more about seeking support. Yeah. That there's a real need that kind of needs, needs met. Yeah. And then at the end there, you were touching on the importance of the response, the reaction and and it's a high stress situation and maybe it's too tough a question james to ask but what is a good way to react if a parent listening to this podcast just happens to have heard from a young person recently that they've been self-harming or they've had thoughts that they don't want to be around anymore is there a is there a one-size-fits-all or an ideal answer in here it's very easy actually to say this to a parent or a guardian please do it this way and do it that way the truth is with families emotions become heavily involved and naturally enough, the families can be in shock and upset by what they've just heard. But it is important that the families let the young person know that they are important, that they are loved, but also trying to keep open communication with the young person. Sometimes I've met parents who are fearful that they have been very upset and the thought that this might put the young person off. And the young person might say, oh, my, my mum or dad were very upset and that's why I didn't want to say anything more. So it's important that parents may become upset, guardians can become upset and carers can become upset. But it's explaining that to the young person, that I am upset because I care, I am upset because I love you, I am upset because I don't like to think of you in stress. But that does not mean that I don't want to be told yeah. about this. And in the worst case scenario, the upset would be a lot worse. Yeah, yeah. And just thinking about suicidal thoughts, um, and, and I I think you, you've described it helpfully in the past to me about th- thinking about it as a spectrum. Yeah. That different people can mean different things when they say suicidal thoughts. Do you want to elaborate on that a little bit more, James, for the listeners? What's your thinking on that? You could think of suicidal thoughts as being like a line, like a, if you look at ruler, and one extreme of these might be the negative thoughts most adolescents will have experienced. What's the point? I could go to sleep and not waking up again. It's more normal intrusive thoughts that come and go. And then at the other end of the spectrum, it may be, this is what I'm going to do. This is how I'm going to do it. This is how I plan to put my affairs in order. And it's trying to find out where the person is within that ruler or within that spectrum. And the truth is the person maybe can go up and down that spectrum at various different points and depending on mood and depending on the social circumstances because everything changes. And I suppose with that spectrum, with that ruler, depending on where a young person is, a parent would probably want to react differently, wouldn't they? Yes. And that, that links us back to that bit about communication, which I know we'll come on to again in a wee minute. Communication is so important and it's very, very difficult for parents hearing this information. And this is something that I'm aware as I'm saying it, it's going to come across as easier to say than it is to do. But if a parent thinks of themselves like an analogy, like a duck, 
where you might look serene on the outside as you're hearing this information and at the same time you're paddling and really frantic inside worrying about what this information needs or means and the only way they can find out is actually by asking the questions and it is important to ask the questions and as we were going back about the myth busting that just because you ask that question doesn't mean that you make it any more likely that this is going to happen. Thanks, James. There's there's a lot there, isn't there? So in terms of self-harm, James, what might be going on for a young person when self-harm is an issue for them? What, what sort of things could be reasons potentially for it? This is where the importance of open communication comes in because there can be a number of reasons why the young person has engaged in self-harming. And there's a lot of theories why people self-harm. A lot of the young people we have met would say that self-harming has helped them to cope whenever they've found emotional difficulties. It is important that it's acknowledged. It's very, very easy for us adults, whether that be carers, parents or ourselves, to say, oh, simply don't do it. But it's important to acknowledge why the young person has done that. For example, the coping mechanism side of things where they found that it's helped them, it's maybe give them a release. And in the short term, that's what it would do. The difficulty is there's a long-term consequence of self-harm. Um, and just like substances, drugs and alcohol, people build up a tolerance to it. So what got the effect in the first and second instance might have to be increased in frequency and intensity. And the difficulty with this is that the young person has, just like other substances, where the person has started taking the substances to help, and the longer term, it can create a drug. And it's very difficult sometimes to see the wood from the trees where the person's self-harming newly becomes a bigger problem than their mood and their difficulty regulating their emotions. Also, some young people and some people would say that they self-harm as a means of punishing themselves and there's a lot of guilt associated with it. It's important as well, therefore, that the person they speak to about this doesn't fly off the handle or the young person doesn't feel negatively judged because that's already a difficulty that they're experiencing. There's also other reasons why people may be self-harmed. Just like people nowadays get a lot of tattoos, it's, it's kind of saying, look, this is where I am, this is, this is where I've come from, this is who I am now. It's important to note as well that self-harming has increased over the last number of years. As adults, a lot of us can't remember too many people whenever we were growing up who self-harmed. Yet, whenever we meet young people in CAMS, even if they don't self-harm, they would be able to explain that there's other young people within the school or within the peer group that self-harms. So, self-harming is something that most young people are aware of yeah um there's 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 a lot there james thanks um and i'm struck by what you're saying about distress for a young person and that self-harm can be used to manage that that bit about shame and guilt very powerful area and, and i think it's really helpful that you're pointing out that sometimes how a parent or carer reacts could even re- end up accidentally reinforcing that and making them feel worse for for self-harming on top of what else is is going on and and i, th- I think you you mentioned in there somewhere about sometimes a parent might say like stop it stop the self-harm 
and uh, just in case anyone listening to this is wondering about that as a strategy uh, of saying, right, you're not allowed to do that, stop self-harming. Any thoughts on that one, James? It's a very natural response. If it was that simple, the person would have already did this. It wouldn't be recommended just to stop that straight away because the person who self-harmed is using it for a coping strategy. And that would say that they haven't learned or been able to use other coping strategies. It is important that the person is able to learn and whether that's just going for a walk, whether that's learn to talk to people, it is important that other coping strategies are established. Yeah. So just simply stop it. It's not that simple. And it's not something that I have ever come across that a young person, I've never met a young person who can just stop it. Okay. But it's a very natural response, I think, from a parent. And I suppose if a parent does say, stop that, I don't want you doing that ever again. And then a young person does continue to self-harm they're probably going to try to keep that more secretive, yeah. aren't they? So that it's not going to cause more tension and then that can build up distress within them. Yeah. I'm also thinking, James, about a bit of maybe a moral angle to self-harm because it, maybe on one or two occasions in, in CAMS, I, I've encountered a family who've um, for whom faith has maybe been very important and and they've then thought, right, this is a wrong thing to do. And therefore, you should not do it. Um, and I think that that's a complicated area. I, I don't know if, if, if you could solve that one in a sentence or two, James, but have you any reflections on that? It's a, it's a difficult one because, of course, we would like to just say it is right and whatever is wrong. But how many things in life are just right and wrong and black and white? The young person, for better or for worse, has learned this behavior they have felt this behavior has helped them. If they didn't think it helped them, they wouldn't do it more than once. They have found it's helped them. And it's important that's acknowledged. That doesn't mean that you agree with it. I find it quite nerving sometimes whenever I meet a young person who's actually hurt themselves because it's not something most people are comfortable with. It's kind of like saying to someone who has got a difficulty with alcohol or drugs, stop it. Because then there might be another difficulty comes along the line. Yeah. And maybe compassion comes in there somewhere for us, yes. doesn't it? That uh, in a sense, this is someone, someone suffering. Um, you'd mentioned earlier a couple of times, James, about communication and channels of communication. That, that's been a theme through what we've talked about already. Um, and I'm wondering then if a parent's listening to this and thinking, right, my young person is self-harming or is struggling at times with suicidal thoughts. Have we any advice for them about communication? What, any tips for them? Uh, there's a lot of unknowns with that. And the parent or the care trying to establish more information is vital. So again, the communication's open and they can find out whereabouts in that line we have been speaking about or the ruler or the spectrum the young person is on where they're thinking maybe I've had the having dark thoughts but nothing more than that to this is what I'm thinking of doing and this is how I'm thinking of doing if the adult or the care parent could try and find out the young person's method is it's not that that would solve it by taking that method away but it would help so if the young person has thoughts say of taking an overdose 
having access to medication maybe wouldn't be the best idea. So even for the parent or care to take custody of the medications, or if the young person's got other thoughts of attempting suicide, it would be a good idea for the adult to try and take that method away. It's not that if someone has a thought of taking an overdose that they can't walk down to the local shop and buy tablets, because that can happen. But by the young person not having the frick access mm. does help reduce the impulsivity. Taking away the method can be very, very useful. So I think what we're saying, James, about suicidal thoughts is it's really important to try and find out as much information as we can. We're thinking about what, what's a young person thinking about, have they anything planned out, uh, and then trying to remove access to anything that's particularly dangerous. Um, I'm, I'm just thinking in there about removing the means to do something. Uh, we're talking there about suicidal thoughts. A parent might be listening to this and thinking, okay, what about self-harm? If my young person's self-harming and they're really clear they aren't having thoughts about ending their life, that's not a real issue or risk. Should a parent remove the means to self-harm? That's a tricky one, James. If a parent maybe could work with the young person to establish another way of coping, I know what this might come across as quite simplistic, but even getting a shoebox, for example, making it the magic box where they take out, they can take out things that they find comforting at times of stress, whether that be a blanket, whether that be family photos, that can be beneficial. Also, from a point of view of, of the young person wanting to self-harm, it's maybe trying to negotiate with the young person, look, can you hold off for as long as possible before you do attempt this? So if the young person's got a thought of cutting themselves and this is something I have done, and I am aware this is quite a really difficult issue for a lot of parents even to listen to, but if their child is saying to them, look, this is something I want to do, this is something I have done for quite a while, it's maybe not that easy just to take away the means to do that, but it's maybe negotiating with the child. Well, could you maybe try to hold off between the thought and action as long as possible? Also, there are other options where we would maybe ask the young person maybe to hold ice cubes and that there creates a pain but actually doesn't create any permanent damage or also even using an elastic band and putting that in your wrist. That can be beneficial. It's important as well, and I know we're looking at the symptom maybe rather than the problem whenever we're talking about self-harm and suicidal thoughts. And they are things that we need to take very, very seriously. But also, it's important that the young person is maybe cap active, that does have a structure. So if the young person is basically spent a lot of time on their own and they're having thoughts of suicide and self-harm and taking away the method in itself, the young person has all this time to think it's maybe not always the best place to be if your mood's not good to be by yourself. If I wanted to make someone depressed or help develop their anxiety, I would advise them to sleep at regular times, eat at regular times and isolate themselves from others. And if you did all three, any of us did all three of them for long enough, we could get ourselves in quite a bad way. From that perspective, it's maybe the parents, the carers and the young people trying to work with each other to basically try and eat regularly, go to bed at the mm. same time, you know, trying to stay away from the electronic devices at night. The young people do need space by themselves 
and that's true but also maybe it's moderation where they can also spend time with the family and i guess this is a, an area where a parent or carer's knowledge of the young person would be really important because they know yeah. them best and they know what things can in the past help improve things or ease a bit of stress so it's about thinking about about some of those um i'm really struck by that bit about eating sleeping and, and some activities um I suppose emphasizing that we're not saying that doing all those things will remove the issue, but you're rightly pointing out if if we let those things all go, we're 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 risking making things worse, aren't we? Rather than better. Yes, and I would normally say to the parents and young people I work with that if they ever watch them reality TV programs where like I'm a celebrity, get me out of here, and a big part of them is where the contestants. Are starved where they don't eat and normally what would happen whenever the contestant doesn't eat is that they get weepy they get irritable it's not maybe a great place to be but it's the effect of low blood sugar levels even eating regularly it seems very very straightforward but actually there is a biological reason why that would help i do take it that a lot of the young people we meet do have difficulties with sleep but it's also important that we get the sleep pattern try and make it as regular as possible trying to sleep at night rather than during the day also not spending long periods in the bedroom isolated from the rest of the family and just on the area of practical things a parent can do james i wonder is there anything more you want to say about safety so you've already mentioned about thinking about removing dangerous things dangerous items is there anything else you you, you want to, to want to mention about that i would be maybe recommended that the parent uh, speaks to the child about what what's participating in this uh these thoughts is there stress at school is there stress in other aspects of the life is there things that the young person has experienced and that's participated in this it sometimes it can be like the straw that broke the camel's back and it can be just one thing on top of everything else and the one thing might seem not significant to other people but if the person's already quite highly stressed and let's say a school exam can make things seem a lot worse. So it's important that, that the parent does have them conversations with the, the child. Also, um, even even the likes of social media and information that the young person's maybe looking at online, is, does, is that having a negative impact upon the mood? I'm not even asking what the information is, but I always ask a, the young person, or would ask a young person who uses social media and maybe has found that it has a deteriorating effect on the mood. If I uh, offered a medication to you and said to you, look, this medication's going to make you feel worse, would you take it? And it's a wee bit like that with social media. If you find that you're on social media or even any other aspect in your life, and it's making you feel worse. Is that helpful? Uh, and, and it's such an important part of many young people's lives, isn't it? I'm wondering as well, James, about the wider family or the wider system around a young person. Is uh, Have we any advice for families in that setting? Can other people help a bit here? It's important to acknowledge that a lot of people, whenever they're suffering from depression, lowered mood, anxiety, it can seem like a very isolating experience. And from that, then, the thought of suicide can become about escapism. A lot of people lose the thought that they are part of a bigger system, that the family are very connected to that person, even if the person doesn't think that at the time. 
So it's important that the young person's parents, carers, everyone really lets the young person know that you are part of the system, you're a big part of the system, that we do care for you, we do love you, and thought if something never happened to you, it would have such a detrimental effect on everyone else. Unfortunately, whenever I've met people who's attempted suicide, they have said that they didn't take that into consideration. So it's important that the young person or anybody really who has suicidal thoughts are aware that they're part of a bigger system and their actions do have a huge impact upon other people. Yeah, and I, and I suppose some young people, if they're struggling a lot, might be even thinking, well, everyone would be better off without me. And and I think probably what you're saying is that as families and groups of people around a struggling young person, we all need to remind them that that's definitely not the case. Whenever we look at research, we ask questions such as any family history of suicide whenever we meet a young person. The reason we ask that question is because we are aware that legacy in families does fortunately increase the risk of the young person attempting suicide. What I would put that back with the young person is if they attempted suicide or completed suicide, there's a higher likelihood someone else in the family would attempt or complete suicide. So the young person being aware of that fact can help prevent them acting on those horrible thoughts. Yes, thanks, James. That that reminder that a young person is is part of the bigger system, and that their life and actions have such an impact on on everybody else. I'm just wondering as we as we move to finish off, James, if a young person's listening to this and they're at the point of feeling extra help is needed, they're, they're concerned about self harm, they're they're concerned about suicidal thoughts, and a young person they they know what services are out there and how does a parent access them. If they're worried that the, their child could act imminently on these thoughts, the child can be taken to the emergency department um, because if it is an emergency, that's where to go and the young person will be seen and assessed by the crisis service. The parent could also contact the GP and request that the GP review the young person. If the young person also has the, these thoughts and maybe feels uncomfortable talking to the parent or going to the GP, even if they got in touch with the likes of Lifeline or Contact NI or other voluntary services, uh, Northern Trust, we would normally advise maybe Lifeline, but I'm conscious that maybe young people in other trusts may be listening to this. And if that's the case, maybe thinking about you know the voluntary services those trusts offer yeah yeah and, and and you mentioned about the emergency department and i suppose that's in cases where someone is really concerned about risk right there and then that day sort of thing um and and aside from that thinking about the gp is the first protocol and that's helpful you've mentioned lifeline there james and of course the phone numbers and things are available on the internet but just for reference I, i've got it here is 0808 808 8000 so it's good to know that's there and if parents listening to this, James, and they want to read a wee bit more around self-harm or around supporting a young person with suicidal thoughts, are there any resources you would recommend they could have a look at? The NHS website would normally be a first port of call. It actually can be quite useful looking, and I'd, I'd normally advise families not to look at Google Doctor too much, but um, the likes of NICE, N-I-C-E, they offer advice for parents and carers of young people. 
just in case anyone's wondering that's www.nhs.uk thanks for that james and we'll pop those links in the in the text around the podcast so if a parent wants to find those easily they should be in there so thanks for talking with me today james and uh and, and giving us your thoughts and, and your you. wisdom really appreciate that and thank you to you too for listening uh, today to our podcast uh, we'd really love to know your your feedback on this and embedded in the podcast text just in your podcast platform we've put a very short survey we'd love to know your feedback and if you have any suggestions of topics you'd like us to talk about in future we'd be very glad to hear that and we hope you find this podcast helpful <laughs>